Hi, and welcome, everybody. Of course, I am your host, Scott Royal-Smith. I'm here uh, broadcasting with Life Today with Amanda Hahn uh, from Keystone CBA. She is the absolute ninja in all things tax-related with uh, real estate investing. She has a book out on Bigger Pockets. She's a huge name over there, and I've worked with Amanda for years on tax uh, for a number of uh, clients here as Royal Legal Solutions. So it's my pleasure to uh, bring Amanda onto the show today. Um, if you're here in, your, in our watch party, that's part of our, our group uh, here, you're gonna be hearing this presentation live. If you're here on the podcast, I, I, I encourage you to be able to come and do these, uh, attend these presentations uh, live with our watch parties. Um, that we have with our expert guests, with these recorded calls, uh, with my attorney staff uh, in here answering questions for us as we go through the presentations. It's an extreme amount of education in a very short amount of time, and it's designed intentionally to be that way. So if you're hearing this online, join in on the watch parties, connect with us to the royallegalsolutions.com website and get plugged in on how you can attend uh, these shows. So Amanda, the absolute CPA ninja from Keystone CPA. Um, tell us a little bit about like what things are important um, for people to know, because as you know, we're all real estate investors. We're on the path to financial freedom here um, inside of this group through our real estate investing. Um, and I'm just curious, Amanda, where do you see yourself inside of the, the journey that real estate investors have when they're looking to get through their financial freedom in real estate investing? Yeah, well, first off, uh, thank you so much for having me. And I want to say hello to everybody here. This is my first uh, watch party. I'm super excited to be here. Um, uh, so, I mean, in terms of what my role is in the, for real estate investors, um, uh, just a little bit about me. I'm a real estate investor myself. One of the reasons that um, I got into real estate investing is actually for the tax benefits of it. Um, earlier in my career, what I did was to help other people save taxes using real estate. Some point realized, hey, this is something I should do for myself as well. Um, so yeah, having a team together, you know, as a real estate investor, um, having a team together to kind of bring all the different pieces, I think is super important. Um, and I'm also happy to be here too, because, you know, with the clients we work with, probably one of the most frequently asked questions are what kind of legal entity should I be? And then we always say, hey, you got to bring in an attorney. And I know for you, Scott, you probably get it all the time where people say, hey, what about this and that? And you say, well, you need to go ask your CPA. So it's so awesome that we're both here and, you know, they can ask us questions at the same time. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, the way I look at it is, you know, every dollar saved in taxes is maybe four or $5 more that you can invest in real estate. So if you can save $20,000 in taxes per year, that could be a down payment on another property that you buy for $100,000. So a, a very, very impactful uh, piece of the puzzle when you're trying to reach financial freedom. Yeah, I mean, it's huge, right? Like the number one thing that we have to do, right, is increase our top line revenue. And after we increase top line revenue, it's defense, isn't it? Um, like how many dollars can you save off the expenses? How many dollars can you save off the taxes? And then ultimately that gives you total dollars left to invest. And those are your soldiers. You got to put those to work, getting those motivated inside of the right investments. And when you get that all working, then you're able to get on faster on the track to financial freedom. And the biggest savings I've seen people make is one is, getting tightened up on the expenses. People always seem to spend more money than they think in their mind. If you ask somebody, like, How, what are your expenses? A lot of people say, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, to me, I'm always like, whoa, 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 whoa. How do you not know what your expenses are if you're on, if you're committed to increasing the amount of money you have invested into it? And the second thing is, is what, what is your tax? What's your effective tax rate after we get into it? So I know a lot of people are out there like, well, my tax, I'm, you know, I make $150,000 a year. My, my effective tax rate is a north of 30%. 
uh, of what they pay. And when I usually see like those kinds of things, I was, I was like, wow, that there must be a really good reason that you're affect, you're paying so much in taxes. Like you must be really limited on your strategies. And most of the time, that's actually not the case. It's just because they haven't considered uh, a really like in-depth look of what are all of the options that are available to them. And I guess I was curious, Amanda, is like, what do you typically see with people um, coming into your office? Like, are those pretty clear numbers um, from your firm about like, hey, this is where most people come in and this is usually where they, you're able to get to if you're using some of the more advanced strategies? Yeah, I mean, it kind of differs because, um, you know, we work mo- mainly with real estate investors, but we, we kind of, it's kind of through the gamut. We have people who all they do is real estate. Those are typically the people who have very low tax rates and they might be still making a lot of cash flow and stuff, but a lot of strategies to reduce taxes. We also have people who are heavily W-2, maybe just starting out in real estate, um, maybe just one rental to start off with. Um, typically, those are the people that are much higher tax rate and it takes you know, maybe a year, two or three years of planning to really see a very significant shift you know, from a, a very high bracket down to a lower bracket. But it's interesting you say, you know, someone making 100 or 150,000 saying that they, you know, they pay 30% in taxes. A lot of times when I ask people how much they pay in taxes, they quantify that in, in, in terms of refunds that they get. And that's not a good way to look at it, right? Because you could be someone who, uh, you know, have, have a job and are withholding way too much. And by the end of the year, you get a huge refund and you think you're doing really great. But what's really important is to look at what is your true tax rate, like you were saying earlier, right? Your effective rate. How much did you actually pay in taxes based on your total income? Um, And then the other thing is people only look at federal income taxes. Um, So people that live in states that have higher tax, California, New York, um, you know, Illinois, you know, that may be another, you know, up to 10% or more, right, on top of your federal income tax. And of course, we all pay you know, property tax, payroll tax. So um, the uh, Tax Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization, came out and had indicated that the average American spends more money in taxes than they do on uh, clothing, food, and shelter. Right? And shelter is huge. That's like our mortgage, our rent. So, so we spend more in taxes and all three of those things combined. Uh, that's how much the average American is losing to taxes. Not us, though, as real estate investors, right? As the more we get into the real estate investor game, we're going to let everybody else pay all those taxes. Yeah, real estate investors are never average. You know, uh, I think we're some of the most creative people that I meet. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, right? Always looking for the angle. Like, how do I structure this better? It's like the true entrepreneurs of the investing world as it comes into, right? And I think that's why I love real estate. That's why I like working with, uh, I love working with real estate investors myself. It's because I just love that entrepreneurial spirit of like, how can we get through? And I know, and coaching people through the investing side of things, the way we've typically looked at uh, way we structure things in World Legal Solutions is looking at, great, let's let's get the foundations and the structures of your assets, right? You have the money. Now we have the money in the assets. Now we have the assets. Let's protect the assets, get the right infrastructure in place, uh, for uh, S corporations, series LLCs, DSTs, whatever the case may be, um, to use those. And then we'll look at, great, now we look at, okay, now let's proceed on to the tax of like, okay, what are the deductions we should be taking? You know, retirement accounts, um, you know, irrevocable life insurance trusts, et cetera. Like, what are the, those other considerations that come through? And, and so in our kind of stages that we, we walk people through, ending with calls that are like this, which is what's your ongoing education and pulse on the market, uh, which we're also uh, bringing into to these shows. Um, and, that, and that first stage of the asset protection, 
uh, come through. I know you're really familiar with the things that we do here at, at RLS, but I was wondering just in, in general terms, if if you see like, what are the, the, the general strategies that people are, are the general setups you see that people are using and if, and at what like income levels do you see people um, changing those strategies of like just the company infrastructure? Yeah, <laughs> you know, and again, that kind of runs the gamut. I sometimes come across investors who own, you know, a dozen rental properties all in their personal name. And I sort of have like a panic attack moment because no one <laughs> ever talked to them about uh, asset protection. Um, and then we have people who come to us really early in the game, you know, and they've learned from other investors to say, hey, I'm starting out now is the best time for me to get started correctly. So I'm not in a you know, the wrong entity, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit, you know, what happens if you're in the wrong entity, a very painful and costly sometimes to unwind. But um, I think, uh, yeah, so for most of the investors we see, um, you know, they're doing it correctly, they're holding rentals in some sort of uh, flow through entity, right, usually LLCs, uh, DSTs, or partnerships. Um, and from a tax perspective, that's really beneficial, because, you know, as real estate investors, one of the biggest perks we get is the whole concept of deductions and depreciation. And so when we create these losses by maximizing you know, our home office, our, our car expense, or we're shifting income to our kids, at the end of the day, we're trying to utilize those losses to offset other income we might have, whether it's like a W-2 income or you know, capital gains from stocks. And so it's really important that on the entity structuring side that you have the right entity so that the losses are flowing through to you so you can use it to offset your personal taxes. Um, you know, in terms of like simplicity or complexity, um, you know, I just, I usually leave that up to the, you know, the investor and their attorney, cause you know, that's kind of outside the realm of my expertise in terms of how many properties in one LLC and, you know, do you need like a holding entity? Um, but what I, what I really like about what you do um, is to really try to simplify things, you know, because I, I, we've worked with some attorneys that just have very, very complex structures that result in a lot of tax returns and a lot of costs. Um, and those are things that I'm always looking out for, you know, because I think at the end of the day for the investor, from the investor's perspective, what we really want is like the best asset protection with the lowest amount of cost like annual cost and maintenance. Um, because for me, you know, I don't want to charge someone to do a tax return unless it's absolutely necessary. So to the extent we can have entities that are, you know, what we consider disregarded, where they don't have to file a separate tax return, but they also provide the asset protection, uh, that's always my personal favorite. Yeah, to me, it makes the most sense because like it's keeping the eye on the ball, right? Which is total number of dollars I have left yeah. at the year to invest, right? How so, much money am I, am I uh, keeping from all these investments? Right? Yeah, exactly, right? Because that's like, that's the goal, right? And like, is the goal is like financial freedom, right? So it's dollars at the end of all of the calculus, right? It's not just saving on like, oh, my effective tax rate. It's also like, how much did it cost me to prepare all these returns, they go with it. How much money am I making? You know, like that's one of the things that I tell people is like, hey, well, yeah, you can do as corporations, you can save on self-employment tax. They're like, well, when can I do that? It's like, well, technically speaking, you can do that at any time. When does it make sense to do it? It's usually about at 50 $50,000 ish per year because it's the cost of the tax return you have to factor in with it. And they're like, oh, I didn't realize. Yeah, yeah right. Because it's not just about tax, right? It's about the larger scope. And that's why we, we typically talk about like, cool, let's walk through the gates and the stages yeah. of like what makes sense for us at, at where we where we get into. So yeah. um, 
So when we're talking about asset protection, we're talking about series LLCs, LLCs, DSTs, S corporations, um, as well as in some circumstances, some types of C corporation strategies, depending upon what the expenses might look like, right? Like high education expenses, medical expenses, you know, those kinds of things coming through. Um, I was wondering when some, I just had a client the other day, actually, um, that had um, called me up and said, hey, listen, I, I have a property. I, I have a, a, a series LLC that I had formed through another uh, a tax advisory company that wasn't a CPA into it. They set me up with this structure. I, it turns out I only moved in one property. I didn't move in any of the other seven properties that I had into this. Um, and then what they did is they formed me an S corporation. And then to capitalize the S corporation, they moved in my car and they moved in one of my pieces of real estate into it. And I was like, holy smokes, I can't imagine how much worse this could have done. Like <laughs> what the quality of this advice was. And so he's like, I know, I know, I know. I was like, hey, listen, don't worry. You know, we're going to be able to, uh, to look at that and be able to do that. But, you know, that's a common story I get is that people um, will have do inappropriate moves, especially as moving real estate inside of S corporations. And I was wondering if you could share with us a little bit about um, why is that so bad? And what do people do if they find themselves in that situation? Yeah, that's a... Uh, unfortunately, somewhat common mistake um, that we see. So yeah, I think the, the two most common mistakes, one is uh, like what you said earlier, you know, people have the LLCs, but the properties are not moved in. Uh, I'm doing, you know, at the end of the year, every year, uh, we, we contact clients and say, hey, tell me all of new entities that, that you formed or dissolved this year, if you haven't told me already. And this is where we get, hey, I formed ABC Holding Company course, the follow-up question is, well, what does it do? What does it hold? Well, it was supposed to hold this property, but it's not doing that yet, right? So then we kind of go, okay, well, let's, you know, finish the process. Um, because if you just have an entity that's not holding your asset, then, you know, the LLC is not really providing protection for the property, right? You're still the owner. Um, on the S-Corp side, uh, one of the downsides, so, so one of the main reasons we don't suggest investors hold rentals in an S-Corp, well, a couple different reasons. One is that when you have to take title out of an S-Corp into your individual name, uh, that's actually a taxable event, uh, which seems sort of ridiculous, but the IRS treats it as if you sold the property to yourself from your S-Corp at fair market value. So if I have a property that I bought for $100,000, it's now worth $150,000, I have to move it out into my personal name there could be taxable gain of 50,000, even though I've never sold, I'm just simply moving it. And so the question becomes, well, why would I do that? Why would I move into my personal name? Um, most common reasons we see would be financing. You know, sometimes the banks don't wanna finance inside of an S corporation. So they'll force the owner to take it out in the personal name, refinance, and then maybe you can put it back. Uh, so that creates, you know, a somewhat significant problem if you have highly appreciated assets. We're talking about 50000 but it could be a 500000 appreciation. Um, and that becomes a very painful process to do. So, um, uh, you know, one of the things is, you know, I, said, I do sometimes see clients that are, you know, have properties in there from years and years ago. And so it's a difficult decision to make and say, okay, how, you know, do we want to unwind this and have that exposure um, of potentially having, you know, a significant amount of taxes that are due. Um, the other reason, major, major reason that we don't like as corporations is that there, there's what we consider basis issues when property is held inside of an S-Corp. So, um, you know, if you hold real estate in an S-Corp that has leverage, okay, and, and, you know, most real estate investors have leverage, um, to the extent that you have a, a huge loss from depreciation and things like that, 
personally, you might not be able to utilize that um, leverage loss uh, because it doesn't give you basis as a shareholder. And so what happens is you, know, you got someone owning like a, you know, an apartment building, if it's in an S corporation, it's creating this you know, $50,000, $100,000 loss, looks great on the K-1, but when it's time to prepare your personal returns, there sometimes is a limitation where of that $100,000 loss, maybe you can only use 10, 20, or 30,000 of it because part of that was the result of leverage. Um, and so those are two you know, very um, important reasons why we don't hold real estate and really all, you know, most appreciating assets, we don't want to hold them inside of an S corporation. Um, those two problems I just mentioned do not exist in LLCs, do not exist in partnerships. So we have highly leveraged real estate in a partnership kicking off losses. The individuals can utilize that. Um, it doesn't give us any basis issues. And then on the refinancing, you know, if you have a rental in your personal name, move it to the LLC, move it out in the personal name. You can do that every single month if you want to refinance. You're chasing that low interest rate. Um, not ever going to be a tax problem. Oh, awesome. Yeah, so like the the nuts, the story at the end of the day is like, hey, if you're inside of the S corporation, then we have to make some tough calls uh, about what, what's going on uh, and how can we possibly move that asset um, out or what, what are we going to do? Maybe we have to sell it and then try to figure out what we're going to do because like, hey, that's just a bad place for you to be holding money. Is that the kind of decisions people end up with? Yeah, exactly. Like, so yeah, it's, I mean, I mean, and also, you know, sometimes it's quick to, to rectify the situation. I don't know this particular client um, you're talking about. So if it's something that just happened, right? So uh, it was worth a hundred thousand. I moved it in, talked to Scott, realized it was wrong. You can probably move it out right away because odds are it didn't appreciate yet, right? It just, you know, maybe it appreciated by $5,000. So who cares? And you can always contact appraisers to get the lowest appraised value when you move it out. So you're paying as little taxes as possible. Um, there is something in the proposal. This is a, a very hopeful change if it comes up uh, that's currently being discussed is that they're wanting uh, to, uh, so they would allow S corporations to convert into LLCs or partnerships without a tax issue. So sometimes, you know, you hear investor or CPA say, oh yeah, I just changed my S corp to an LLC. Well, when you do that, it's still treated as a taxable distribution. Um, and so one of the proposed changes that, you know, still being voted on or decided on right now is they're wanting to say, well, for S corporations formed before 1996, I think it's 1996 and earlier, uh, that you can convert that to an, uh, an LLC and not uh, be subject to, you know, recognizing gains. So we're very hopeful that that passes because it's super beneficial for investors who've made mistakes years and years ago. You can imagine what those properties cost that you bought in 1996. Um, so we're really hoping that that uh, gets changed. So yeah, I mean, it'd, it'd be fantastic if they can uh, do some things to be able to help us out with some of those taxes um, coming through, you know, yeah. do it. Um, so that's awesome. So I think we cover it off on just about everything S corporation related. Um, I wanted to give you an opportunity here to Amanda too, because I know that you just recently um, did a presentation here on like what are the proposed legislation um, coming through. And I think that also had to impact um, something, some things to do with like retirement account investing with inside of real estate as well too, right? Is that something you want to take 60 seconds and kind of and brief on and then kind of tease out where everybody should um, join in for your, your resource and presentation that's more about those proposed legislative changes? Yes, of course. Yeah, um, definitely. If you guys are interested in what the proposed regulations are, check out our website. It's www.keystonecpa.com um, where I think we spend like 30, 40 minutes talking about what the proposed changes are. And there are a lot of them, but 
Uh, as real estate investors, um, I know a lot of you guys are doing self-directed investing, um, something near and dear to my heart because I also use self-directed investing into real estate, right? My IRAs, my 401ks. One of the things that they're looking to eliminate um, is our ability to self-direct into different types of funds. So you think private equity syndications, apartment syndications, commercial <laughs> syndications. Um, and I know a lot of investors do that. Um, and so what they're wanting to do is essentially take away the ability for a self-directed account to invest in anything that requires the investor to be accredited, right, based on net worth and income. And again, that's most syndication deals, you know, most of these special deals that like a family office client would invest in, a lot of those could be prohibited. Um, this is not law yet, it's something in the proposal. And so what we're asking everyone and all of you here um, is to contact your congressman, tell them to vote against it. Um, you can check out our website, uh, keystonecpa.com. I think it's forward slash act now or something. I'm sorry, I don't even know my own website URL. Uh, but anyway, I have some resources, sample letters. You can write to your congressman, email them uh, to try to get this passed. This is somewhat retroactive, meaning if you already have investments in self-directed accounts in a syndication, as an example, um, you effectively have about two years to unwind that transaction, uh, thereafter potentially subject to taxes and penalties, which is uh, very, very problematic. Yeah, huge stuff, guys. So if you are if you have those syndication investments, it might be give you pause about wanting to keep an eye on uh, what's happening here, uh, because depending upon the timeline of your investment, you might be contractually have your money locked up longer than the period is that you have to unwind it. So uh, you might be thinking about that before any new deals that you're getting into. Yeah, uh, we. I mean, I do work with a lot of syndicators as well. So one of my job is to uh, educate our syndicator clients, right? Because obviously, as syndicators, is also their responsibility to figure out if the law does pass. How do we get the investors out safely, right? And replace that, you know, if it's a 50 or 100,000, how do we safely replace that with other eligible money, right? But, but we're not there yet, you know, no need to panic and, you know, start selling all the stuff, but something that we're um, keeping an eye out. And again, you know, all of us here can do our role in, in you know, writing our congressmen and women and, you know, try to get that voted down. Yeah, be a good citizen, write them up, right? Yeah, let them know. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> Um, uh, it's great, Amanda. I know we had talked a little bit before hopping on the show today, and I, I was wondering what was that? What was that next topic that we were going to hop to? Was that after? Um, I think there you have so many real estate professional. Oh right, real estate <laughs> professional. That was the next fun one. That little we... one, huh? That little yeah. one that uh, nobody little, talks about. <laughs> that little tiny thing that we popped into. Yeah, I think that's where um, a lot of people are interested in. I think a lot of people. I think right now the belief of, of this group of people is to come in and say, "Well, great, you know, if I'm a real, I can't be a real estate professional if I have any W two job, um, and the only way that I have, uh, if I have a W two job, that we can qualify as a real estate professional is like maybe if I have a stay at home husband or a stay at home wife, and that they can, we can get them qualified as a real estate professional or designate them as a real estate professional. Of course, there's no certification requirement for that, but you have to be able to pass like the test of like it could real estate investing even legitimately be like your uh, full-time profession for you given everything else that you have um, going on there and that's and so given that that's like the belief I was wondering if there's any additional um, information or any additional different framing that you have or a different way to look at that issue that you see people um, thinking about when they're trying to figure out like hey how can I how can I get a real estate professional designation yeah, well, um, yes, you're exactly right. You know, if you're someone who's not working full time, maybe you're working part time or you have a spouse who's a stay at home, it's a much easier threshold to meet. 
Um, and one of the benefits is when you are a real estate professional, all of your tax losses from the rentals can offset all types of income. That includes W-2, retirement distribution, stock gains. Um, and so that's where it's kind of what, you know, for us, it's like the, the holy grail of where you want to be. Maybe one of, you know, one person high income, the other person real estate professional, and then you just make a lot of money and cash flow from rentals and, and pay very little tax, right? Um, but because the rules uh, are that, you know, for to be a real estate professional, you have to spend at least 750 hours in real estate and more time in real estate than your job. Uh, that's where that, you know, that full-time job becomes problematic because if you're working full-time, let's say it's 2,000 hours a year in your job, then you need to have more than 2,000 hours a year in real estate. Um, so that becomes difficult. Um, I don't want to say impossible because I have had investor clients in the past who worked a full-time job and claim real estate professional, um, but I will say it is very difficult. You know, this particular person was someone who, um, had a dozen local rental properties she managed. She ran a real estate club. She also syndicated deals. So it's, you know, it's a lot. It's more than just let me have two out of state passive investments and, and try to claim professional status, right? Um, but also, um, you know, being able to show that you materially participate in your rentals, meaning you're spending at least 500 hours on the properties themselves. But if you or your spouse is someone who can meet that profile, then, you know, it's kind of like all, you know, the gates open up and you have this significant tax savings, like some of these more sexy stories that, you know, we talk about where someone saved, you know, 100,000 in taxes or $50,000 in taxes, right? Um, but having said that, you know, just because you might not qualify as real estate professional doesn't mean there's no benefit to real estate investing, especially for those of you who are high income earners. Um, because what a lot of people don't talk about is that when you're making cash flow, let's say you have taxable rental income, that is taxed at your ordinary rate. So if you're at one of the highest rates right now, 37%, your rental income is going to be taxed at 37%. And so it is still really important to make sure we maximize our write-offs through you know, income shifting, home office, you know, depreciation, maximizing everything that we legally can, um, because then you can keep all of that cash flow and then utilize that to reinvest into more real estate, right? And then, and also I think the other part of it too is real estate professional, for some people it's a longer term plan. Um, I know, you know, some, sometimes people get discouraged and say, oh my gosh, I can't be a real estate professional this year and this is it, you know, real estate is not my thing. But you have to remember, you didn't get into real estate for tax savings. You got into real estate for cash flow, uh, passive income, financial freedom, right? So if you can't qualify this year, um, keep on chugging, right? Buy more rentals, continue to buy more rentals, create more passive income that you don't have to pay taxes on. Um, and so, you know, sooner rather than later, you will get into a position where, you know, you or at least maybe you or your spouse, one of you can reduce hours at work and real estate professional becomes um, a lot more uh, easily achievable. Awesome. 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 Yeah, guys. So um, what I'm taking away from, from manager Sharon is if you can't qualify for it now, um, then think more long-term about how can you can reposition about like what is, who's working and, and do some calculus on like, hey, do we really need you to be working that much because look how much we could save on taxes. So maybe there's a win-win here where you can be actually cost neutral to yourself, but like, hey, I got all this time back or my spouse got all this time back and that makes our lives like so much better because at the end of the day, it's actually not just dollars and cents, right? We're actually looking for amazing lives, right? So maybe think yeah. a little bit longer term about that. And, yeah. and then the other piece too, I want to highlight for you guys as a tax attorney, 
um, or putting on my tax attorney hat here, is that if you're going to be doing anything that's going to be uh, deemed as like aggressive, like I have a W-2 job and I'm going to claim the uh, real estate professional designation, um, anytime you're doing something aggressive, the best thing you can do is have really good documentation, mm -hmm. verifiable good documentation that you're maintaining as you're going through, because that shows like a system and process about how you're approaching it. And that's how you're able to actually have good evidence to combat it. The people that get popped are the ones that are outliers and don't have documentation. Those guys get audited and they lose every single time. But people that are diligent with documentation and proactive with how they're organizing around it, those people have really good, um, actually have a fighting chance about if they ever get caught into like any type of audit scenario. Anyway. Yeah. We see that all the time, you know, where, uh, you know, for people who are married and, you know, there's two spouse, you know, the, the spouse, you look at the income, right? If there's a big disparity, you know, someone, so let's say you have a very high income earner and, you know, someone who's not as high. If the other person, the lower income earner, let's say they made $50,000, but, you know, again, federal and state tax rate, let's say it's 50%, net of taxes, they're bringing home 25000 so if I can save them more than $25,000 in taxes by claiming real estate professional status, it makes sense to consider, right, for them to stop working uh, because they're netting the same after tax. Uh, and then what is that? Not only does it give them more freedom uh, in their time, but also that allows that person to spend more time on real estate acquisitions management. And so they can grow their portfolio much faster and then retire that other working spouse, right? That's still going to be working for another year or two. So yeah, just, it kind of comes down to the, to the numbers and, and oftentimes um, the decision to work less or stop working um, is much easier than people think, you know, when they're looking at the actual numbers. Oh man, I hope everybody's ears just perked up when they just heard like, wow, that place for us to stop working. Amazing. <laughs> I was like, how much happier would your spouse be if you're like, no, no, just stay at home. That's it. <laughs> just do your thing. You know, <laughs> like it's fine. Yeah. Actually, I do want to save money and be able to have more time. This is amazing. Yeah. I do want to bring something up since we're talking about real estate professional status, because we are seeing a lot more investors deal in the short-term rental space. Um, so I do think it's important just to address that. Uh, for those of you who are involved in short-term rentals, and this means you, you know, the, your average uh, guest is staying less, you know, seven days or less. For short-term rental operators, uh, if you have losses, okay, if you have rental losses, whether natural or strategically created but, uh, with you and your CPA. So if you have those losses, you might be able to use it to offset W-2 and other income, um, even if you don't qualify as real estate professional. So it's kind of a little, you know, loophole in the tax law where short-term rentals aren't subject to the same strict requirements as long-term rentals. And so in the short-term rental space, um, they don't care how many hours you're spending at your job. Okay, so you can work 2,000 hours, both of you working. It doesn't matter. To use the loss, you simply have to be able to show that you, what they call materially participated in your short-term rentals. Um, there's seven different ways to qualify, but the two most common ones that I'll just mention here um, is one that you spend, you and your spouse spend at least 500 hours on the short-term rental properties themselves. So that's acquiring it, staging it, you know, maybe managing it, dealing with turnovers, all that stuff that you're doing for the property, at least 500 hours. Okay, so that's one way to meet the qualification. If you don't meet that, there's another way to meet um, that, which is you spend at least 100 hours on the short term rental and no one else spends more time than you. So you're looking at how many hours you're doing versus how many hours maybe like a property management is doing or the cleaning crew or the gardeners. So you have to do at least 100 and more time than uh, one of those people. 
So those are the two uh, common ways to qualify for material participation. And again, uh, could be hugely beneficial, you know, because I I'm seeing people buy short-term rentals for you know I don't know seven hundred thousand dollars a million. Just the other day, someone bought it for one point five million dollars. Uh, so that's some very big write-offs. And if you can meet those qualifications, those write-offs can potentially put a pretty big dent in your taxes from your W two income. Ah, uh, pretty fantastic. Yeah. So to be like, because they'll they'll take it as like from active income and then apply it to active income, right? Because short term rentals are treated as active income, whereas your other rentals are going to be treated as passive income, and that's why you have to have that other designation, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yep. And we talk about that about that a lot about how you need to separate active and passive income because of the different tax rates and you know what it, why is that important for us? So that's a hot tip. I that's new to me too. I had never heard that the loophole around the short term rentals. Um, I'm going to be starting telling everybody in my network and uh, pretend like I was like, oh, I, I knew this all along. You know? <laughs> all right. <laughs> no, as you got to tune into these shows to be able to find out what's really going on, what the real hot tips are. Um, cool, man. I know we have um, a couple a couple more minutes here before we wrap up. Um, what do we have? Is there any other topics that you have top of mind for us here that we had talked about that you want to cover off on before, um, before you have that opportunity to direct everybody about where to... Um, staying connected with you and all the great tax teaching you're doing? Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, you know, one one other important thing on real estate professional status I want to make sure people know is regardless of whether you're a real estate professional or not, you get to write off the same expenses. So you can still write off an eligible car, an eligible home office, shift income to your kids. There's nothing different about that if you're not a real estate professional. The only difference is that if you're not a real estate professional and you are of higher income, you can't use the losses to offset W-2 um, in that given year. That's really it. And, and also you don't lose those expenses and losses. You carry them forward and you can use it in a future year. Let's say in the future when you do have taxable rental income or you have other passive income from you know, syndication investments or business investments that you're involved in. Uh, or you know, worst case scenario, when you sell the property, you get to utilize all of that to offset capital gains. So um, you know, really, really important to continue to track and have a plan in place and not just kind of you know, forget about it just because you're not seeing an immediate dollar saving today, Um, especially since, you know, the expectation is tax rates are on the rise. So every dollar saved might be $2, you know, it might be worth a $2 of actual savings in the future when we're applying it against a much higher tax rate. Right. So I think um, that that's kind of the, the, the main thing, because I do see or meet investors who kind of get discouraged and say, oh, man, you know, I thought I was going to be able to slash my taxes significantly right now, but I'm not able to do it. And then also outside of real estate, I know, Scott, you talk to clients a lot about that. There's other ways to, to, to reduce taxes with retirement contributions, too. You know, if you have an S-corporation, solo case, defined benefit plans, um, we have clients putting $100,000, $200,000 away. Uh, and getting a tax write-off immediately. So um, other sort of alternative strategies as well beyond just the real estate professional status. Yeah, for those higher contribution limits that you typically see, I think the solo case, like cap out around like that 57-ish, you know, depending upon age um, type of bracket. And to get to that higher level of like putting it away, you need those defined benefit plans. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, you say 50, you know, 57, 58,000 per person, right? For a couple, that's over 100,000. And then you add the defined benefit on top of it. Um, that's where, you know, you can see that snow, snowball effect. And of course, once the money's in the retirement account, whether in this, you know, solo K or the defined benefit, you can utilize that for real estate, right? So it's sort of a, 
a double benefit of getting a write-off immediately now and also deploying that towards real estate investments. Amazing, Amanda. Well, thank you so much for all of the awesome knowledge that you've dropped on us um, here today. Um, of course, um, Amanda, and for everybody that would want to stay and connected to you and continue to learn from you, like what's the best way for them to do that? Um, I think our, our website is probably the best place to start. And again, that's www.keystonecpa.com. If you're interested in some of the foundational strategies, um, definitely download our free ebook um, on tax strategies for real estate investors. We talk a lot about how to shift income to your kids, again, the tax deduction, um, examples of what to and not to do for real estate professional status. Um, we touch on legal entity structuring, you know, what to avoid. Um, so definitely check that out. And, and you know, because we're expecting a ton of tax changes uh, in the coming weeks or months. And so uh, we're constantly updating um, our content. So um, on our website, you can find information on our next webinar on tax updates. So that's the best place to uh, find me and stay up to date on, on the latest and greatest. Awesome. Awesome. Everybody go check out um, Keystone CPA and check out the great resources that uh, Amanda has there. You know that we do a lot of our own updates on legislative updates and other updates, uh, but this is like a network, you know, team kind of thing, right? So you're the more you can stay plugged in on um, to the information that people that we're introducing to you um, here in the network, the better off you're going to be. Um, because uh, the more you're going to be informed yourself and the more helpful you're going to be in terms of this community of bringing in uh, new ideas, different strategies, different viewpoints, different ways of thinking. Um, and that's the healthier and the stronger that we all become. So I encourage everybody to reach out uh, to uh, Amanda's website there and be able to grab that information and start studying some for great materials and bring that information back into, into this community. Right. And let's have those conversations of like, what are the things that we're learning that are making ourselves more adept at being uh, better and better investors? Um, so that way we're really in that top 1% of who's in the game and, and what do those people know? So thank you so much, Amanda. Um, I hope you have a fantastic day. Everybody go check out Keystone CPA.